This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. So much going on in Michigan politics every single week, even though the August 7th primary election is behind us and we don't have a general election until November 6th. We got all sorts of stuff every single week. For instance, Monday of this week, Democratic gubernatorial nominee Gretchen Whitmer named her lieutenant governor running mate. He is Garland Gilchrist the second. Now, if that's not a familiar name, it will be in the next few weeks and months before November 6th. He is a 35 year old, six feet, eight inches tall, African-American tech guru. He is a social media expert. He is a computer engineer. He worked uh, for moveon.org. He's a community organizer He worked in technology for the Barack Obama for president campaign in 2008. And even though he's an unknown political quantity because he has never been elected to political office before, never served in political office, uh, he's a millennial and he's young, he's tech savvy, and Gretchen Whitmer needs help and support in the city of Detroit in particular in Wayne County as well. And she believes that a young charismatic, we hope, and he's been very articulate so far candidate as a running mate will help her. So that's one thing that happened. Another thing is that a Genesee County district judge, David Goggins bound over for trial, the director of the state department of health and human services, Nick Lyons, Very controversial decision after a preliminary examination of nine months, uh, which maybe sets up a trial in circuit court in Genesee County, although Judge Goggin's decision at this point is likely to be appealed. And this involves uh, manslaughter charges against Nick Lyon uh, for the deaths of two elderly men a couple of years ago in Genesee County from supposedly Legionnaire's disease that may or may not have been connected directly to the so-called Flint River crisis. Uh, We've also got two state conventions coming up this weekend. The Democrats uh, are meeting in East Lansing in the Breslin Center on the Michigan State University campus. Uh, That's going to start tomorrow. Uh, They're going to nominate some offices for various education boards. And then on Sunday, they're going to nominate their candidates for lieutenant governor, attorney general, secretary of state, the Supreme Court. And uh, on Saturday, uh, the Republicans are going to meet right next door in the Lansing Center in Lansing. And they're going to nominate all their candidates for exactly the same offices the Democrats are nominating theirs for on the same weekend, a few miles to the east. Uh, So that's a lot of excitement. One other thing from uh, August 7th I'm going to bring up that I'll bet you hardly anybody outside of Lenaway County, we're talking like maybe the Adrian area, 
knows about. Um, as you know, when people file to run for a judgeship in this state, whether it's the Supreme Court, whether it's Court of Appeals, District Court, Probate Court, Circuit Court, uh, if there are more than twice the number of candidates to be elected in November running, they have an August 7th runoff so that people who finish below the top two, let's say there's one judgeship up and there are more than two candidates, uh, there were four uh, on August 7th for Lenawee County probate judge. Um, the incumbent, Greg Iddings, is running for re-election, but he had two uh, female opponents and a single male opponent, so three challengers. The women were Christy Drake and Catherine Sala, and they were running against uh, Iddings. The fourth candidate was named Todd Morgan. Uh, whoever finishes in the top two then runs off in the November 6th general election. For instance, Iddings could come in first, but if any of the other three candidates finishes second, that person gets to continue on and uh, be able to get votes on November 6th against Judge Iddings. So what happened? In Lenaway County, this is very rare, Judge Iddings did finish first, so he qualifies for the November 6th ballot but there was a dead heat tie for second place between the two women, Christy Drake and Catherine Salas. So what happens if that occurs? Because one of them has got to be allowed to move on to the November 6th general election to face off against Iddings. You know what happens in Michigan? By law, there is a drawing by lot. Simply, uh, who gets the short straw, for instance? And a short straw usually means uh, you lose. In this case, uh, let's say the short straw turned out to be a good thing, or it was a tab, or it was a hanging chad, or a slip of paper, or something. But in any event, of the two women at the drawing, Catherine A. Sala got the slip that read nominated, meaning she is the one who's going to go forward and face Greg Iddings on November 6th. Christy Drake, who tied her for second in the vote on August 7th, is out of luck, at least this time around. She got a bum deal, but under Michigan law, that's the way they decide these things. So, folks, a lot of stuff going on in Michigan politics uh, at the two conventions, uh, whatever candidates the so-called labor slate endorses at the Democratic convention usually prevails, and they've endorsed uh, two candidates for the four different educational boards. It's going to be decided uh, on Saturday. Um, the two candidates endorsed for the MSU Board of Trustees, which, let's face it, is the most interesting race this year, because of the huge scandal over the Larry Nasser sex predator uh, convictions. Uh, the two women are Brianna Scott and Kelly Tebay. Now, interestingly, in the year of the woman, you would think the Republicans would also want to nominate women, 
And yet, there are only two candidates at this point that the Republicans have running for the MSU board, and I believe they're both male. And unless the Republicans suspend the rules by a two-thirds vote and nominate a female instead of one of the males or two females instead of the two males, uh, probably the two males are going to be nominated. So I think the MSU uh, board candidates nominated by the Democrats, if it's going to be Brianna Scott and Kelly Bay, are likely to have an advantage. Uh, over on the Republican convention, uh, there are contests for attorney general uh, between Tom Leonard, who is the Speaker of the House, and uh, Tonya Schumpbaker, who is a state senator from the west side of the state, the Saugatuck area. Uh, there's also a contest for Secretary of State between Mary Trader Lang, a CPA from Gross Point, and Joseph Guzman uh, from Michigan State University, a professor who has been endorsed by the uh, Michigan Conservative uh, Coalition and the Trump Republicans. So even though Trader Lang is considered the favorite, uh, she isn't home free yet. Uh, I think uh, you get into the uh, Secretary of State race. That is going to be up for grabs. Maybe Tom Leonard has a slight edge. And then there's the question of how popular Beth Clement, Supreme Court Justice, is going to be as she makes the rounds because she has ruled in a way not favorable to Republicans in several key cases since she was appointed by Rick Snyder some six months ago. I'll be back in a minute with our first guest. We got two of them today. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. Okay, we're back, and we've got a special guest here. Dave Woodward is a former three-term state representative uh, serving from 1999, January through 2004. Seems impossible to believe that it was two decades ago he first got elected. Uh, then he was term limited, but uh, he returned to uh, his native Oakland County. And, and uh, Dave Woodward, welcome to the show. Great to be here. And uh, when you got back, did you run right away for Oakland County Board of Commissioners? Uh I I did, yes. And I uh, became the first Democrat to unseat uh, a Republican uh, in uh, in Oakland County on the county board. On 2004. Uh, so in other correct. words, have you been on ever since? Ever since, correct. Wow. So you've been on now a total of 14 years, right? Seven I terms. I yeah. know. I mean, time flies. Yeah, time I, flies. I was, I, I was just talking over, and I, mean, I retired from the legislature under the age of 30. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God. So, <laughs> oh, that's and, unbelievable. And like, I can't believe it's been 20 years since that first election. And uh, also, didn't you become Oakland County Democratic chairman for a while? Yes. I served uh, about eight years um, as the chairman of the Democratic Party, where we uh, um, helped elect a record number of Democrats all across our county. I mean, the second largest county in Michigan, 1.2 million people. It's the pathway to the governor's office runs through Oakland County. Well, I know you're pretty pumped up about the uh, Democratic State Convention coming up this weekend. Are you going to be there? I am. And um, 
I know you're pretty enthusiastic about uh, Gretchen Whitmer's choice of Garland Gilchrist II as her lieutenant governor running mate, right? A- absolutely. I absolutely. I think uh, he's a, a amazing pick. I think he relates to a generation of voters um, who share a similar story of going away for school or job opportunities and coming back and raising a family and loving the state, but also brings I mean, a tech background, um, kind of like that disruptive uh, strategic thinking that's necessary to really, I mean, make things work better and problem solve. And so I think she picked a person that's going to help her govern really well. Let me ask you a question here. Going back to your experience in the state house of representatives, um, you served from, let's say the election of 1998 through 2004. So you served under a Republican governor for your first two terms, John Engler, then Gretchen, I mean, uh, Jennifer Granholm came in in 2002, and your last term you served with her. But unfortunately for you, the House was controlled all during that time by the Republicans, and so was the Senate. Um, Gretchen Whitmer came in in 2000, uh, one term after you, and then, of course, she got to uh, serve one term after you left through 2006 before she was term limited. And she ran for the state Senate and served two four-year terms over there. Unfortunately for her, she was in the minority the entire time she was in the legislature, never was able to serve in the majority. What what do you remember of Gretchen Whitmer when you were in the House with her between 2000 and 2004? I mean, you served together in the House. Yeah, no, I I remember when she first got elected, uh, I mean, super smart eager to roll up her sleeves and not only become a, a kind of student of the process, um, but figure out how to develop relationships, even with people who disagree with you, with the goal of trying to move something forward. And I think, I mean, over, and that was at the beginning, um, I've had an opportunity to work with her. I mean, we share serving the legislature, the minority, our, our, our entire legislative careers. Uh, but I'll be honest, if it wasn't for Gretchen Whitmer, we wouldn't have been able to negotiate the deal that ultimately raised the minimum wage in Michigan. And I worked very closely, talking with her every day, sometimes late into the night, um, uh, figuring out not just a, a legislative strategy, but how to I mean, really work the levers of government to, to work towards compromise to get something done, even when you're outnumbered. And um, I think about her being in the governor's chair to be able to, um, present a budget to lay out an agenda for the state. I think she's going to be incredibly uh, successful. I think she's got a natural talent for it, um, but she also has the experience. And I think the experience piece I want to uh, uh, drill on, she really does come in with a lot more legislative experience than our past two governors combined when they entered um, the legislature, when they, when they were elected governor. And I would say, compared, I mean, they're kind of getting off the starting block to Governor Engler, which I was there at the end of his tenure as governor, here you had someone who came up through the House, through the Senate, understood the legislative process, and even though I disagree with almost all his major policy accomplishments, um, there is no question you have to appreciate the skill in managing and running the state, and I think that comes because, that comes from, directly from his experience in the legislature. I think she brings an equivalent level of experience. And I think she's going to be able to hit the ground running on day one 
and get a lot of things done for the people of Michigan. So you, you're talking about John Engler, you mean? John, yeah. yeah, because yeah. he was in the legislature a record 20 years. Uh, right. No governor had ever served that much time in the legislature before right. he became governor in 1970. Uh, so when you're talking about hiking a minimum wage, wasn't that in 2006? Am I wrong about that? Or no? So, um, this was so in 2014. Myself and a group of other leaders and organizations around the state launched a ballot initiative. The Republicans in the legislature were trying to do everything they possibly can to prevent the voters from voting on it. Repealed the law we were trying to amend, thinking that that would be a way to thwart our entire effort. Um, left them in a quandary that they got to do something. And then, as a result, in 2014, it was the first time since 2006 that we raised the minimum wage, increased the tipped wage, indexed it to inflation, and... Gretchen Whitmer deserves a tremendous amount of credit in helping work through that process. She was very supportive of us getting to the ballot, tried to do everything possible so that it could happen. When that, was, when that, that road stopped, she I mean, kicked into le- I mean, to legislator negotiator mode and I think negotiated the best deal that we possibly could have gotten under the circumstances. That's likely to happen again this fall, isn't it? I mean, you got another minimum wage proposal that, you know, could or could not get on the ballot, and, and the legislature might come back this fall and try and meddle with it. We will, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's always a possibility. Um, I think when hundreds of thousands of voters say this needs to be done, this is important, the people should decide on it, uh, legislators operate in their own peril to do something contrary to that and can have a chance to be held accountable a few hundred, well, less than a hundred days later. So we'll see what happens. This was a little bit different because the minimum wage proposal that's advancing is not a amendment to an existing statute. It's its own standalone statute. And that's getting a little more into the weeds, but they're not going to be able to repeal a minimum wage law like they did in 2014. Well, if they do uh, take some action and change it, you think that could be a big campaign issue going up to November. The Democrats will use that against the Republicans everywhere. Democrats. I mean, I think that when you when you look at over the last ten years, we're still seeing stagnant wages. Working families are struggling, and uh, the reason these things are moving forward is because you've got legislative leadership and the people in charge of Lansing, the Republican Party right now, um, is refusing to even take hearings on these issues. In fact, they're working the opposite, trying to make it harder for local communities to address these issues if Lansing doesn't act. And so you see this as it relates to minimum wage, um, the paid sick day initiative, marijuana. I mean, you go down the list. I mean, these things are coming forward because the legislature refused to take actions on uh, state priorities. Dave Woodward, I want to thank you very much for a very entertaining conversation. I wish we had more time, but thank you so much for appearing on The Political Insider. We'll get you back as a guest some point. Sounds great. Anytime, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We've got another guest. This one's a Republican, or at least he works for Republican candidates. Uh, after we just heard from Dave Woodward, who um, is a Democrat and uh, supports a lot of Democratic candidates. Uh, the one we got now is Stu Sandler of Grand River Strategies. Stu, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, what is your official title there? And I think you got a partner. And uh, maybe just tell me a little bit about Grand River Strategy. Sure. Uh, Grand River Strategies is a Republican political consulting and uh, public affairs uh, firm. And my uh, business partner is Jamie Rowe. 
who is also a co-founder and partner uh, in Grand River. And uh, we, uh, we do campaigns and we do public relations. How long you been going? Uh, we formed the company in 2015, uh, and this is uh, three years in, in running and running strong. And we've got a lot of great clients this uh, this election. So, who are these clients? Sure. So uh, we, uh, well, I do um, consulting for. Um, I'm the executive director of Better Jobs and Stronger Families, which is a super PAC supporting uh, Bill Schuette for uh, governor. I also do consulting for John James for U.S. Senate. Uh, we work with uh, Mike Bishop for Congress. We work with Paul Mitchell for Congress. We do work with the Michigan Chamber of Commerce and the Farm Bureau, and also uh, the uh, House Republican Campaign Committee. We, there, we are their general consultants. So uh, I think I got a good number of our clients. We've, we've got a lot of good clients, and we're having a lot of fun. Yeah, you've got a heck of a field, of a plethora of campaigns that you're dealing with. On the shooting campaign, how do you feel about things right now with his choice of a running mate of Lisa Posthumus Lyons? And for that matter, uh, matching that up against Gretchen Whitmer's choice of uh, Garland Gilcrest. What do you think sure, about I, the campaign? I think Lisa Lyons is a great pick. Uh, Lisa had a very strong record in the legislator, legislature of uh, fighting the failed policies that Jennifer Granholm and that uh, Gretchen Whitmer were trying to push this state towards, which led to 15% unemployment and hundreds of thousands of job loss. Uh, so Lisa Lyons has a great record to tell along with Bill Schuette. I think Garland Gilchrist is a disaster of a pick. He, uh, people uh, forget his political record as uh, the national campaign director for MoveOn.org. Uh, he has uh, been involved in some of the most extreme policies that have uh, this country's faced in the last um, five years. And, uh, I think once you team that up with, uh, Gretchen Whitmer's record as the most liberal, uh, state Senator, one of them, when she was in the legislature, you've got the most liberal ticket in Michigan history. Um, so you think there's not much chance that Garland Gilchrist, uh, if Gretchen Whitmer confines him to the city of Detroit, which is where he was, uh, born and brought up, uh, she's not going to get much help from him down there. I think he, you know, that's what their play is. Um, you know, there was a lot of division and dissension in the Democratic Party uh, from the de from the uh, Democrat convention where Dana Nessel beat Pat Miles. Uh, they uh, did not have a African American as one of the statewide office holders, which is traditionally, uh, or for a candidate for it, which is traditionally something the Democratic Party's done for the last few decades, uh, and they don't have that. And so, Gretchen Whitmer tried to select. Garland Gilchrist, in some ways, um, to, to overlook that and try to bring out some, you know, enthusiasm from the African American community. But I don't think that's going to help. I think Gilchrist is a flawed candidate, and I think uh, people are going to see that as this campaign moves forward. What about uh, John James and his campaign for the U.S. Senate against incumbent Democrat Debbie Stabenow? I mean, many people think that's probably a lost cause. She's a very strong incumbent. People think she's got a heck of a lot of money she's raised. A lot of people think she's unbeatable. Uh, do you think that's wrong? I think people underestimate John James at their own peril. And I know certainly Debbie Stabenow doesn't underestimate John James. You could tell by a few of the things she did right away when John James won that primary. When the first thing she did was call for a series of veterans roundtables, which at the first one, which I believe was the Wednesday or Thursday after the primary, Debbie Stabenow said, these are not issues that I focused on very clearly. She's been in this, uh, Washington for 20 years. She's been a career politician for 43 years. And to admit that she hasn't focused on veterans issues and 
particularly issues of their transition to civilian life. Uh, that was a major uh, faux pas. It was totally true. And I think uh, John James is going to be able to uh, it, it, uh, you know, run a campaign based on issues. Also, uh, Debbie Stabenow is already on TV. She was on the Monday after the primary, which again shows she's worried about John James, and she should be. Uh, John James is an Iraq war veteran, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he's never held political office before. Is that an advantage, maybe, you think, this year, uh, running against somebody who's been in office something like 44 years? Yeah, I think John James has an advantage. Again, Debbie Stabenow's been in uh, politics for 43 years. She's been in Washington for 20 years. At that time, she's only passed five bills into law. John James has experience, but it's from the battlefield to the boardroom. John James was an Army captain, Apache pilot, and a Ranger-qualified Apache pilot in Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, and John James uh, helped, as the president of James Group International, grow his family business from $35 million to $137 million in revenue. John James has experience uh, creating jobs. John James has experience defending this country. And that's important experience that I think voters will see uh as a better choice. How about debates? I mean, back in 2012, the last time Debbie Stabenow ran, her Republican opponent was Pete Hoekstra, former congressman, and he couldn't even get a debate with her. Uh, What's going to happen? I mean, is John James going to be able to debate her so that voters out there can make a choice? Absolutely. John James has asked for debates. John James, uh, first and foremost, wants a veterans debate where they talk about veterans issues, but he also wants six debates. Uh, and I believe she is going to have to debate John James. She's been in the Senate for 18 years. She has to uh, go to the uh, voters in Michigan and tell them why uh, she is uh, believes she deserves re-election. She can't get away without debating for 12 years, and the Michigan voters won't let her. Well, of course, six years ago, Pete Hoekstra wanted six debates. Debbie Stabenow said, I'll give you two, and the twain never met. And so Debbie Stabenow said, look, uh, it's either two or nothing. And basically, Hookstra said, okay, nothing. Uh, you're not going to allow that to happen, are you? I mean, if she says, uh, I'm not going to do six, but I'll do something less than that, or, and I don't want one entirely on veterans' issues, are you going to walk away and say, forget it? Well, right now, Debbie Stabenow and her campaign team are trying the same campaign stalling tactics uh, that they did when uh, in that 2012 election. They're just saying they're going to talk about it, but at this point we haven't seen any uh, movement and activity. She's going to have to debate. The Michigan voters are going to hold her accountable. Uh, she's going to be debating John James. She's going to debate him multiple times. What about Alyssa Slotkin, the Democrat running against incumbent Republican Mike Bishop in Oakland County? Uh, how do you feel about Mike Bishop's chances for re-election at this point? You know, I think Mike's uh, going to win re-election. I think we, you know, we take the race seriously. Uh, but he's going to win re-election. He's well-liked it. Uh, and, you know, Slotkin had a major uh, flaw this week, a slip-up, where she uh, was in a group uh, of people where she said to uh, boycott businesses in uh, the district that support Mike Bishop. And, you know, this is someone who has never owned property in the district, has barely any ties to the district, was parachuted in by Nancy Pelosi. And then, you know, the only time she's ever voted in Michigan was for herself in the primary. Uh, just a few weeks ago. So I, I think John, uh, I'm sorry, Mike has a very strong record of uh, bipartisan uh, involvement. He's a member of the Problem Solvers Committee. He's worked on legislation to stop deadly opioids from getting into this country. He's worked on legislation to help protect children in the Child Protection Improvement Act. 
Uh, Mike's got a great bipartisan record, and uh, I think he's a very strong candidate. He's going to win re-election. What about the state House of Representatives? The Democrats have a chance to realistically to take control. They have to net gain nine seats. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for them. I, I think you know the House Republicans right now have a two-to-one cash advantage. They also have a lot of strong incumbents running in areas where they're doing very well. Uh, I think there's there's a lot of areas in the state where um, you know. Uh, there normally were competitive seats, but the Republican incumbent is so strong. I think Democrats are taking some of these districts off the map. Uh, and, you know, we'll see sort of, you know, where they make their stand because they have limited resources. But I think the House Republicans have a, a great uh, odds to keep the majority and keep a strong majority. Okay, Stu Sandler of Grand River Strategies. Uh letting us know what's going on from the Republican side anyway in these very key races. Um, We're going to be back in just a minute. We're going to talk about the state Republican convention coming up this weekend in the Lansing Center. Be back in a second with Stu Sandler. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We're back for our final segment with Stu Sandler of Grand River Strategies, uh, top political consultant for Republican candidates, state of Michigan. Uh, Stu Sandler, I want to ask you, uh, the Republicans are having their state convention this weekend, uh, Saturday in the Lansing Center, uh, while the Democrats are meeting next door in East Lansing in the Breslin Center on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, What do you see coming up at this convention for the Republicans? Is there anything out of the ordinary? What are the key races? Uh, What should people be looking for? You know, I think there's going to be two competitive races um, for the statewide ticket as Republicans finish completing what's a a very strong ticket. Uh, In the attorney general race, uh, you have uh, Speaker Tom Leonard versus uh, State Senator Tanya Shewitmaker. Uh, I expect uh, uh, Tom Leonard to win by a, a pretty good margin. Um, Tom's really worked at grassroots hard. He's got a very conservative record. You know, Tanya Shoemaker is a, a, a good lady and has, you know, good credentials. But I think Tom is just, you know, going to win this by a Well, let, by me, a good let me ask you one question at this point. I mean, since the Democrats uh, are almost certain to nominate Dana Nessel, who is an LGBT activist and very aggressive um, liberal attorney, uh, would the Republicans be wiser to have another woman uh, challenging her from the Republican side? That would be Tanya Shoemaker. Well, you know, again, nothing against Tanya Shoemaker. I think uh, Tom Leonard's a stronger candidate, not, not only because of his record as a, as a legislator, but also because of his record as a prosecutor. Tom uh, worked in the Flint pros- and the Genesee County Prosecutor's Office. Tom worked in the Attorney General's Office. He's got a uh, history of fighting crime. He's got a history of putting uh, gang members in jail, and uh, these are going to be effective against Dana Nessel, who's got a lot of uh, extreme, out-of-touch uh, positions. And uh, again, no offense to Tanya Shoemaker, but I just think Tom Leonard's a stronger candidate. Okay, and the other race uh, that might be uh, somewhat contested is Secretary of State. Tell us about that. Yeah, so right now, uh, Stan Grott, uh, who is the Shelby County clerk, dropped out uh, last week. Uh, Stan, I think, was Ion's on favor to win the race. Uh, he's done, he did a ton of groundwork. Uh, but now uh, Mary Trader Lang, 
uh, looks like the favorite. She's an accountant at a gross point. And uh, she's running against uh, Juan Guzman, who's uh, running for, um, he's an MSU professor. And uh, he is, uh, you know, Guzman's a good candidate. I think Mary has the edge because she's been really uh, running all over the state and has some some real strong, uh, some real strong endorsements. Um, but you know, I think it's going to be a competitive race. But I think Mary will win it. Well, didn't Mr. Guzman get the endorsement of? Uh, I think it's like the Trump Republicans or maybe a conservative coalition. I mean, could that be a problem for Mary Trader Lang at a Republican convention where the delegates are very often more conservative than the rank and file Republican electorate in an election? You know, uh, John Guzman has the um, endorsement of the Trump Republicans. He's got the endorsement of Scott Hagerstrom, who ran the uh, Trump campaign in Michigan. He was the Michigan campaign director for Trump. So, you know, those are two good endorsements he brings to the floor. You know, most of the race has been really focused on Stan Grott and Mary Trader Lang. So looking at how these to stack up against each other. You know, Mary has strong support in the 1st District, the 4th District, and the 6th District, just looking by her endorsements. And But she's she's traveled a lot of the state, met a lot of the delegates. You know, I, I think she's run a more active campaign than Guzman, but there's, you know, uh, there, it's going to be competitive. Why did Stan Grot drop out? I mean, he ran for so long, two years, and it looked like, you know, he had a majority of the delegates. Was was this a personal thing? And if so, how could something like that come up at a time that would derail his campaign when he must have known, you know, whatever these personal issues might have been uh, could be the case as long ago as two years ago? Yeah, you know, look, there was nothing that would uh, I. I I, I'm a friend of Stan's. I've talked to Stan's about it. This wasn't about an issue that would have derailed his campaign or anything like that. I think Stan had some very uh, unique and personal reasons why he did it. And, uh, you know, I, I think, again, we're going to have a strong ticket regardless, and uh, we're going to be competitive up and down the ticket in the Republican Party. You think he felt that uh, Trader Lang, being a woman, might be a better matchup against Jocelyn Benson, the likely Democratic nominee for Secretary of State, than either he or uh, Mr. Guzman might have been? I, I don't think that was the reason, but again, I, I, you know, Stan had reasons of his own, and, you know, that's for, for him to share, not for me. <laughs> Uh, when you look at the Supreme Court, by the way, uh, Beth Clement, um, the incumbent justice appointed by Governor Snyder about six months ago to fill a vacancy, never run for office before. Is she going to be at the convention? Do you think she'll be going around to the various caucuses, uh, introducing herself, so to speak, because nobody really knows anything about her. She will be on the ballot. She can renominate herself, and she already has, whether the Republicans nominate her or not. Uh, also Curtis Wilder, who is an appointee of Governor Snyder, uh, will likely be nominated by the Republicans at the convention. What's likely to go on with there? As I understand, Curtis Wilder and Beth Clement are running separate campaigns. They're not running together. Yeah, you know, um, you know, I, I would say that Beth, Beth Clement is known by Republicans. Um, she, you know, in, I interned at the Republican Party with Beth back in 1995. So Beth's been involved in Republican politics for over, you know, was that 22 years? Um, I believe she will be at convention. I believe she will be, you know, working and talking to people. This is a little different, this convention, than other conventions in the sense um, 
sometimes Republicans have a two-day convention where there are district caucuses on one day and then the convention, the full convention on the next. This is one of those times where there will only be a single day of conventions where both districts will caucus, which will be, I believe it's a pretty short period where they're doing that, and then it will be full general uh, convention agenda. So it's only going to be on Saturday. So as in terms of how uh, Justice Clement and Justice Wilder handle that, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't see that there's going to be any sort of um, movement or anything to change the, where they are on the ticket right now. I know some people have sort of uh, uh, made some, you know, made some sort of uh, arguments about it. But I don't to to uh, change how the nominees of the Republican uh, Party are uh, for the Supreme Court would require a two-thirds vote, uh, which is, I believe, 1,260 delegates, which is not easy to get. And I don't believe anyone's anywhere near that. And I don't think there's going to be an effort uh, that's, that's sizable. Well, the reason uh, we're talking about this is because Beth Clement has teamed up with another Republican justice not on the ballot this year named David Viviano and sided with two Democrats in a 4-3 majority on a number of cases this spring and for in summer and for that matter there's one that may be coming up again shortly on minimum wage that uh really have stuck in the craw of a lot of elements of the republican party uh, there are some people out there that are pretty upset about it sure sure uh, you know there are some you know david and uh and beth are friends just as kurt and brian and uh you know steve markman and uh, you know I'm, I'm friends with the republican justices on the court uh and sometimes i disagree with how they vote in different ways and i and i have that with a lot of clients and republicans uh at the end of the day i do believe that that, that both beth clement and kurt wilder will be the uh nominees uh that come out of this convention for the supreme court uh and uh you know, I think they'll, they'll, uh, they'll have to carry their uh, messages forward to, to November. What about the fact that Rick Snyder, the outgoing governor, after eight years, a Republican governor is not apparently going to be at the convention. Brian Kelly, as lieutenant governor, will be there. The man who was defeated by Bill Schuette in the August 7th Republican primary for governor. But Rick Snyder will not be there. Maybe there'll be a video or something, but that's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? No, if that's extraordinary, you know, this governor's been a different governor. Uh, he's been a successful governor who has never really focused on politics. He didn't come uh, up through the political ranks. He's been a businessman outsider who won the nomination in 2010. Uh, he's got a lot to be proud of. Brian Kelly's got a lot to be proud of in terms of the accomplishments of this administration. So I think, you know, Brian Kelly will be making some of those, uh, you know, points at the convention. It's not completely surprising, knowing who Rick Snyder is, that he isn't going to be at the convention. I, he has a conflict. I trust it's an important one. And Republicans have their ticket for the fall, and they're going to be focused on that. One last question. Uh, Michigan State University Board of Trustees, Democrats nominating two women. Looks like the Republicans are going to nominate two men. Is that very smart? In the year of the woman uh, and the Me Too movement and everything that's gone on with the Larry Nassar accusations of Michigan State? You know, the Republicans have very strong candidates running for Michigan State. You have Mike Miller and you have Dave Dutch. Dave Dutch is a Naval Academy grad, a successful businessman. Mike Miller is a successful businessman. Both have uh, strong ties to what they believe should be happening at the university, and they're, they're going to be good candidates. Okay, Stu Sandler. 
letting it all hang out here on what's going to happen at the Republican State Convention and on the Republican statewide ticket and the State House of Representatives, what's going to happen? Stu Sandler of Grand River Strategies, thank you so much for being our guest. Thanks, Bill.